Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and in this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be reviewing pretty much only two movies. All I have on the docket this week are Escape Room, which was the only new release in theaters, and Outlaw King, which is the only thing I managed to fit in on Netflix. So, without further ado, let's get started. They know every move that we're making. They knew everything about us. This is my hospital bed. Me too. They made these rooms for us. Have you ever seen things that weren't there before? I am not imagining this. Surviving is a choice. Yep. Yep. I want to yep. That's why they chose us. And they all look just I gotta be up front. For all intents and purposes, this is a PG-13 Saw movie. I mean, think about it. These group of people are being tested. Uh, the only difference being that they're not being punished, per se, but they are being killed off by a secret, or you know, somebody who's always watching them and uses all sorts of inconceivable and honestly ludicrous technology in order to try and kill them off for... For their nefarious purposes. The only difference is Saw at least goes all out with the gore. Whereas this is just, this is just, well, we can't be too, we can't be too bloody. If we're, we can't, you know, we can't go too far or else we can't get the PG-13 crowd. We can't get the teenagers in on this. Ugh. Yeah, I cannot stand the PG-13 rating. It is such a crutch on the movie industry and here's the perfect reasoning like think about this either you make it a pg movie and you just take out all the excess stuff and or you make it r-rated and you go all out like a saw movie like if this went all out like a saw movie i would not be you know disappointed as much whereas here uh, why even bother you know I think the killer especially is that every one of the actors in here is basically a lookalike and could just as easily be a stunt double for another actor in Hollywood. Like there's a there's a girl who was in the in in uh in the army I think or the marines who served in the Middle East who <laughs> uh is basically a body double for um or a stunt, you know a stunt double for Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh there's a guy who there you know there's the you know tough as nails takes no prisoners sort of sociopathic one uh who looks like he's a stand in for Lakeith Stanfield. Uh there's a dude in here who looks like a mix between Brent Black and Miles Teller if you get that reference. Um the girl is a cl very clearly a stunt double for Amanda Stenberg. Um there's an older man who's a stand in for um like a Tyler Labine sort of role, maybe an Andy Richter. Uh, he's that sort of type. And then it, it really is just, uh, you know, random, you know, basically, Hey, we could totally hire regular actors, but let's hire a bunch of lookalikes. Let's hire a bunch of doppelgangers where if you blink, you might notice an actual actor in this movie. Uh, and the ones that, and like, that's the thing, the ones that are here, they're not that great. 
Like, it's not like, it would be one thing if it's like, oh, you look, you're totally a, a look-alike for this one person, but they were actually really good, at, they're actually a really good actor in their own right. But no, these these actors just are boring. You know, they don't bring anything to the movie. You know, not that there's not very much to bring, but they're ultimately just kind they may as well be mannequins for the director to move about. Uh... I took this. I took my nephew um, to this. Uh, we did it for Bad Movie Squad, and yeah, uh, January is a perfect time for Bad Movie Squad because it's nothing but bad movies. And this, like for the, all the cleverness of the puzzles, my nephew was able to figure all of them out long before the uh, the characters were. So if the audience can figure out the puzzles faster than the characters. And you're basically left sitting back waiting for the characters to catch up to your level. What is the point in watching? Like, shouldn't the puzzles be a little bit more, you know, clever and, you know, not quite as easy to figure out? Like, if it takes – if anybody off the street can figure out your puzzle, maybe you should try a little harder. Especially if these are supposed to be the best of the best in terms of, you know, people. You know, in terms of people who can – you know, solve things. And I mean, like they're given little like Rubik's cube puzzles to solve and they're all able to solve it. So, I mean, these are all supposed to be clever people, but they can't figure out basic stuff, basic logic problems. Like these are all basic logic problems that they should be, that they, they're supposed to be able to solve, but yet they all keep getting thrown off by, you know, logic 101 problems. Uh, I don't, I don't, it's almost like this movie thinks it's smarter than it is. (laughs) Um, yeah, the one-liners in this are weak. There's this really bad ADR, uh, stuff added in to point out what we're clearly seeing in front of us as though the test audiences didn't get it. So we had to point it out to them or like the test audiences didn't respond to it. So the producers were like, oh no, they didn't get it. Quick dub in lines to, to explain it to them. Like we get it. We we have eyes. We see what's going on. What is that for the deaf people in the crowd? Not the deaf, the blind people in the crowd, so they could hear the plot going on. I mean, that that'd be one thing if that was the case. But I think it's just laziness. They have no idea how to. They couldn't handle making the making the movie as it was and letting it stand. They had to dub in extra lines in order to make sense of this garbage. It also doesn't help that it continues the trope. Of the savant character at the beginning who turns into a badass character by the end. Like, I don't know where this started, but it's becoming a recurring trope in a lot of movies that I've been seeing. The Predator had it last before this one, and here it is again. This girl at the beginning is played off as some kind of savant. Not, maybe not fully on the spectrum per se, but definitely some kind of savant. And then by the end of things, she's just like, total badass, Lee. You know, speaking out one-liners. And it's like the kid from... uh, It's not as bad as the kid from The Predator because he was specifically said to have autism. But here it's just played, you know, hinted at, teased at. But, yeah, it's... I I don't like this trope. I don't like the trope of a movie curing somebody of their... Essentially their disorder. You know, oh, they can interact with people now and shout out one-liners and are are fully functioning in society because... You know, movie magic. No, just leave us be. Leave us stay who we are, you weirdos. Quit doing this to us. What the hell's wrong with you? Ugh. And then, of course, like any bad movie, I won't give away the ending, but suffice to say, they think they're getting another one. 
they're they're banking on having another sequel, on having another one of these movies, and building a franchise out of this full on Saw style. And we'll have to take a look at the box office reports at the end, you know, the end of the episode to see if that's you know warranted. But man, that's the hackiest thing you can do, especially if you're not a very good movie. Hey, we've got another one planning. You know, if you like this one, but we, how about you work on making us like this one first? Then you can build onto it. That's what good movies do. You don't need a sequel bait if you're a good movie. Ugh. Anyway, yeah, overall, Escape Room is just another bad start to a film year, and a reminder that January will continue to be a dumping ground for bad movies. Oh, right. I had actually planned on seeing way more movies on Netflix this week, but for some reason I would just keep getting distracted and end up just watching stuff on YouTube instead. Uh, I did manage to get one in, and it's been one. It was one I was been looking forward to for a while, and that's Outlaw King. Um, for those who don't know, uh, this is kind of supposedly the more honest and true to life Braveheart, where uh, Braveheart took a lot of. Um, Lean, you know, take a lot of artistic license with the with it with its history. This was planning to be much more accurate, and it centers on a much more prominent figure than William Wallace, Robert the Bruce, who was the you know who was the King of Scotland uh, at this point in time in uh, medieval history, and it was good, you know, but ultimately I just couldn't get into it as much as I would hope as I was hoping for. Like Chris Pine is fine. He kind of devi- you know, his act, his accent kind of comes and goes. Uh the the effects, you know, it, it's all mostly practical from the looks of it. So, I, you know, so they put a lot of effort into that aspect, but at the same time like it'll it doesn't know how bloody it wants to be. Like there's an exact scene of of uh the you know, of the English um gutting somebody and ripping out their intestines. Uh, but at the same time, you'll see uh, hacking and slashing, but no blood coming out. It's like they they spent all their money on certain effects and then forgot couldn't afford the squibs for the for the rest for the other parts of the battle scenes. Which yeah, they're pretty good for the most part. You know, I think the problem is when you compare this to Braveheart. Braveheart was a much better put together film, even though it was wildly inaccurate. And here, this is a much more accurate film, but not quite as well put together. Uh, the act, you know, the acting is fine, but the uh, the dialogue isn't exactly, you know, stunning like it was in Braveheart, and the effects aren't quite the same on the same level as Braveheart, and you know, some of the pacing kind of drags a bit. But ultimately, you know, ultimately, it is a good movie. Unfortunately, when you compare it to Braveheart, Braveheart is a much better film. Uh, when you come down to it, and even though this does have some good production design and effects, uh, the accents aren't as bad, and it and, and it's a you know much more accurate movie. It's just kind of you know it just it just ultimately comes down to the fact that it, it's a Netflix version of Braveheart. It's not the it's Braveheart is brand name. Is, you know, is the brand name, whereas this is more like 
let's put it this way. Braveheart is um, is Coca-Cola, king of the brands in this in this in this field. Whereas Outlaw King would be more of an RC. It would be Royal Crown Cola because it. Some people may like it more than Coca-Cola, but what it comes down to is, in terms of brand re- brand name recognition, this one's not going to get the same as Braveheart, even though arguably some may say it's better. Uh, so, eh, not as good as I was hoping it would be, but at the same time, like, it's still one of the better Netflix movies out there. I mean, you compare this to crap like Bird Box, which I still think is a, a complete, you know, happening ripoff, ultimately. Uh, it, this is much better, a much better watch and for me, but just not quite as good as it could have been. So, I missed out on a couple of other stuff, but... Uh, we'll see, uh, what I can, you know, I've got, I'm adding stuff to my Netflix queue, uh, for, you know, for, so that if I have, if I need to fill up space on the roster, I can add more to it and I'll have to remember to watch it (laughs) this time. So that about does it for the review portion. Let's get into the discussion, shall we? Once More With Feeling is a 20th anniversary Buffy fancast where we gather and watch episodes of Buffy, discuss them, and release it every Tuesday. Grr. Arg. Initially, going to address the whole Kevin Hart Oscar host thing this episode until last minute. I realized we were going to be uh, talking Golden Globes. <laughs> uh, I completely forgot the Golden Globes were airing this weekend, so uh, we're going to be talking about that for the discussion. But suffice to say that. Um, that the Kevin Hart situation definitely is going to be addressed at some point. Uh, probably, you know, in a, in a mo- and I'm not going to be cu- trying to cover all the awards like I did last year. Like ultimately, what it came down to was every, you know, all the all the same movies and people were winning the same awards, no matter what the show was. So I'd rather wait until all the awards have passed and then look at the outliers and discuss the winners. Uh, as a whole, rather than, you know, try to cover each of them individually. So we're going to be doing uh, the uh, the uh, Golden Globes this week. Uh, but I would do want to get off my chest that the whole Kevin Hart thing is definitely kind of... I, I'm, I just want it to be over with, you know. I, at this point, I'm just tired of the discourse, because... What it comes down to is, will a multi-millionaire comedian who doesn't have to host the show end up hosting a show where his comedy is going to be watered down anyway? Like, what? There are so many problems with the Oscars that who hosts it is ultimately meaningless. But it's, you know, it's not like Kevin Hart is going to make it any worse or any better. That that's That's kind of my overall feeling of this. I would much rather somebody else personally, just because I don't find him all that funny. But, you know, if he has to, it's not like he's going to make it any worse 
because it's all because he's not the one in control. It, it, it's the problems all stem from the roots of the tree. He's just going to be one of the new branches. Is all. Uh, with that being said, let's talk some Golden Globes. And the award goes to. I think the Golden Globes are an exact kind of reasoning for why I don't, you know, I'm not cons- overall concerned with who hosts the Oscars. Because here you've got Andy Samberg, who is usually pretty funny, and Sandra Oh, who is a very affable person. And they're hosting together, and they have no chemistry, and all of their lines are just just the weakest, blandest, milk toast lines you could imagine. It is really. It is just. It's just network TV should uh, should just you know say, stop trying to be so wholesome and family friendly and just say screw it. Who cares? Let's have some fun up in here. Just let loose, especially for the Golden Globe to not let loose. It's. It really is. Just. It's just an everything. That I do not like about awards shows in general. Uh, just. Mm, it's not to mention the fact that it's all self congratulatory, patting each other on the back, sort of, look at what we did. Oh, Lord, are we so important? We're talking about real. And then, of course, nowadays they have to introduce the whole idea of talking about real issues, even though ultimately they don't really address it outside. Like, it's not like these people are doing it every day. The ones that are are, great, are, are good. About that, but the ones that aren't, just why bring it up if you're not going to make that a constant? You know, why just it's just bringing it up for brownie points ultimately? And I think people are starting to catch on to that. Like, okay, chill out. You're pat. You're a bunch of drunk actors patting each other on the back. Leave, yo, save it for the streets. You know, lip service is cool here, but how about you t- put your money where your mouth is? Uh, so yeah, Andy Samberg and Sandra Oh just are not that good of a. They don't have that. Like, what if it was instead of Sandra Oh, they had um, Melissa Fumero or some one of his other co-stars from Brooklyn Nine Nine? They he would clearly have more chemistry with them. But at the same time, even if he did have more chemistry, even if the host did have more chemistry, ultimately what it comes down to is the writers for this are just. Weak. They are not good writers. They're very late, milk toast, middle of the road, boring writers, and that's the worst part of about all of this. If award shows had the you know had some balls and put in some real, brought in some real writers and made some real just balls to the wall comedy, made it made it fun, made it almost like an actual roast, like a like a Friars Club roast, then maybe we could have some more fun up in here, but nah, we gotta be nice and be family friendly for the TV audiences at home get over get over yourself, yeah, no wonder people don't want to watch you uh, so yeah, Jim Carrey stole the opening by the way uh, for those who watched it not surprising because Jim Carrey's ultimately way more fun off the cuff than he than the any other writers were trying to trying to script this whole mess. Uh, so yeah, uh, before we get into the uh, award recipients themselves, I did want to make a nice shout out since I don't cover TV too much. Uh, I do want to say uh, it's nice that they added a new Lifetime Achievement Award for television. And they named it after Carol Burnett. This is a brand new, um, brand new tradition starting this year, 
And other than, like, maybe Norman Lear or, like, one of the big-name producers, um, yeah, it really is uh, – it, it's such a – that's a sweet honor, and I couldn't think of anybody better than Carol Burnett to carry that honor for years to come. The Carol Burnett Award for T- Lifetime Achievement in Television. That's a that's a wonderful that has a wonderful ring to it. And the only other thing I wanted to bring up before getting into the awards proper was, you know, for as much as people say, you know, focus on the hosts of these award shows, can we just get rid of the actors doing it? Because ultimately, the actors are just as wooden and stiff and uninteresting as the MCs themselves. Nobody in this, nobody reading out the lines looks like they have any idea how to emote. Uh, they they're just like they might as well be mannequins or robots. You know, Siri might as well be reading out all of this stuff. In fact, why even bother with hosts and MCs? Just have an AI read out all read out all the stuff of nominees, and just have the actors come and actors or directors and whoever the winners come up and accept their awards. But why have MCs at all if they're all gonna be so robotic and boring? So yeah, just I didn't really. Uh, I didn't really care much for. I'm, I just, I'm just not a big fan of award shows in general. I just think they're very poorly put together in terms of entertainment, and it feels like it caters more towards the people involved themselves rather than the people watching at home. In which case, why even bother with the people watching at home? Why not just make it a private event and say who won? If you're gonna make it public, at least make it more interesting for the public to watch. You know, that's that's all I've got to say. So with that in mind, let's, we're going to do the awards in order of the in order of recipients for the night. So the first movie award uh, received tonight was the best animated feature film. The nominees were the other nominees were Incredibles two, Isle of Dogs, Mirai, uh, and Ralph Breaks the Internet for some reason. Uh, but ultimately, the winner was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is a very appropriate, like, that was the best animated movie I saw all year. And it's probably one of the best animated movies in this decade. So, shout out to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Congratulations, you guys earned it. Next winner, the next nominee uh, category was Best Original Score. Nominees were A Quiet Place, Isle of Dogs, Black Panther, Mary and Mary Poppins Returns. I guess more specifically... They were um, uh, Marco Beltrami for A Quiet Place, Alexandre Desplat for uh, Isle of Dogs, Ludwig Gerenson for Black Panther, Justin Hurwitz for First Ma- uh Mark Shaman for uh, Mary Poppins Returns, and Justin Hurwitz was the winner for First Man. Uh, First Man's score was probably the least, you know, it was probably, I mean, it fit the movie. But I wouldn't call it the best score. I would probably have gone with more of a Black Panther than anything. But people like people in Hollywood love Damien Chazelle, so they're going to give him a bone for because yeah, with some of the technical stuff rather than focus on getting the big name awards. I would think and that's usually what this means. But yeah, uh, and then tying into that was best original song. Uh, the nominees were "All the Stars" by Kendrick Lamar, SZA, Soundwave, and Al Shucks from Black Panther. Girl in the Movies by Dolly Parton and Linda Perry for Dumplin' on Netflix. Requiem for a Private War by Annie Lennox for A Private War. Revelation by Yunzi, Troye, Sivan, and Leland for Boy Erased. And the, and the ultimate winner, Shallow by Lady Gaga, Mark Ronson, Anthony Rosamando, and Andrew Wyatt from A Star is Born. I 
that's really the only one I would go back to after seeing the movie. I don't remember. I didn't see Dumplin', so I don't know Girl in the Movies. I don't remember Requiem for for a Private War from the from seeing a Private War. I don't really remember Revelation, and all the stars uh, just never stuck with me. A lot. Kendrick made a good album, but ultimately. I didn't. It didn't stick with me as much as the rest of the movie did. But I'm glad he got the chance, and I'm glad he gave that used that chance to uh, help out uh, his, you know, help out his friends and his colleagues, and you know, create this sort of almost just collaboration album of all things. To be given that task by Disney is is uh, is quite the feat for him. So I don't begrudge him that. I just his songs never did it for me. So yeah, uh, shallow uh, winning from a star is born. I, I guess I mean it was the one from the uh, trailer, so it's probably the more prominent one. But uh, yeah, it's it's not my favorite from the movie, but it you know I'm glad it, the movie is being recognized. Uh, the next category was best supporting actress. Uh, the nominees were Amy Adams for Vice, Claire Foy for First Man. Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz both for The Favorite. And the final winner, a movie I still have yet to see, sadly, is Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk. I hear so many good things about that movie, and yet I have no idea when it's coming out near me, if it's coming out near me at all. But I really hope I get the chance to see it, even if it's earlier this year. I couldn't put it on my best of the year list, but I still want to get, I still want the the opportunity to check it out, because it sounds great. Same with The Favorite. I hear... I, I, I want that one to get some a wider opening. Like uh, there's there's a there's a movie coming out in wide uh, release this weekend uh, that I honestly couldn't care to see, didn't re- don't really care to see. And in place of that, I would much rather the favorite or if Beale Street could talk, get a wider release. But eh, we'll talk about that during the trailer talk segment. Moving on, the next nominees were for uh, best supporting actor. Uh, the nominees here were uh, Timothy Chalamet for Beautiful Boy. Adam Driver for Black Klansman, Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me, and Sam Rockwell for Vice, with the winner being Marshala Ali for Green Book. And I'm kind of of the mindset that Green Book is getting overly praised because it because like, much like uh, Driving Miss Daisy and Crash and a lot of those other stuff, it's it's Hollywood's addre- addressing of racism without really going deep on things like it's it's white it's it's ra- it's tackling racisms that's safe for white people and completely from a white person's perspective you know this isn't like like if you if it was given to if beale street could talk or to black Klansmen or to um uh you know or to you know if it was if these accolades were given to some of the myriad of other mo- the hate you give didn't get any nominations Yet your Green Book, which is way more schmaltzy and and like not and completely disingenuous when it comes to this, it's it gets all these accolades because I think it makes people feel good. And he, I'm not going to deny Marshall Ali was a great actor, but I feel like he's just there because he's the new hotness and people love him. Uh, as for who I would have picked, unfortunately, I didn't see Richard E. Grant and Can You Ever Forgive Me? But I think between all of the nominees for Best Supporting Actor maybe Sam Rockwell for Vice just because he embodied the role of Bush so well. Otherwise, I guess, yeah, Marshall Ali for Green Book because of his performance. I mean, 
Rockwell's the only one to have a, you know, to really embody the performance aspect of it and actually become his character, other than Marshal Ali, whereas Timothy Chalamet is kind of forgettable. Adam Driver is good, but I don't, but it's hard to tell how much of his, how much is in the performance versus in the writing. And I haven't seen Richard E. Grant, so I can't speak on him. But as for what I've seen, I would have, it would have been either between Marshal Ali and Sam Rockwell, but, you know, I'm not saying Marshal Ali didn't deserve it because, Dude deserves all the awards because the dude is good. Dude is good. Uh, and then uh, we followed that up with best screenplay nominees were uh, forgot to write down the names, but uh, attached to the screenplays were Alfonso Cuarón for Roma. Good, you know, good nod for him there. Even though we're not seeing it a lot everywhere else, Brian Hayes Curry and Peter Farrelly and Nick Vellalonga for Green Book. Deborah Davis and Tony McNamara for The Favorite, Barry Jenkins for If Beale Street Could Talk, and Adam McKay for Vice. And the winner was Green Book. Once again, why is this getting all the accolades? Why, you know, why people really do love them some schmaltzy, surface-level addressing of racism rather than actual deep thoughts and, and, you know, and tackling of racism like you saw in so many other much better movies this year? Uh, this is driving us Daisy and the blind side all over again. We'll see how long the green, you know, green books, uh, accolade, you know, accolades look in hindsight, how well the green books accolades look in hindsight. Also, it's the fall Hollywood foreign press. So I'm guessing foreigners aren't exactly the for you know, the foreign press isn't exactly concerned about these sorts of things. They're just concerned about famous people. Ultimately, uh, they're not exactly, I don't know. They've never seemed to be the best, you know, um, the best sort of pool to choose from versus say like the critics choice or even like the screen actors guild or producers guild award sort of thing. But I don't know. Yeah, this is all, I don't know. I'm not, I've never been big on the golden globe. So whatever. But as for what I would have picked, what the, I think the two, what the two I would have picked, I haven't seen yet. If Beale Street could talk in the favorite, I would have, I would like to have seen them before I made, before I picked who I would, who I was rooting for, but Roma of the three I did see had the much better screenplay, personally speaking. But yeah, um, yeah, whatever. People like Green Book. It is what it is. You know. Moving right along, we uh, move on to the next category, which is the first of the like the bigger two categories: the uh, lead actor in in uh, comedy or musical. Uh, and the nominees were here f- were uh, Viggo Mortensen for Green Book, Robert Redford for The Old Man and the Gun, which I sadly didn't get the chance to see, John C. Riley for Stan and Ollie, which is another one I missed uh, that only got a limited release at the end of the year, and Lin Manuel Miranda for Mary Poppins Returns. And the winner was Christian Bale for Vice. And I gotta say, um, honestly, the one who really gave the best performance was Christian Bale. Uh, he's the one who fully embodied. Uh, his the character of Dick Cheney, whereas Viggo Mortensen is kind of putting on a, a caricature, and Lin Manuel Miranda is basically trying to be not quite as bad. Uh, Dick Van Dyke, uh, Robert Redford, I'm guessing is just Robert Redford, Redford, uh, and maybe John C. Riley is good as uh, um, what is it? Uh, Laurel and Hardy, Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy. I think he was Ollie. I think it was Oliver Hardy. So, uh. Maybe he was good. Maybe he was good in that. I can't say for sure. I haven't seen it, but of the ones I watched, uh, Christian Bale definitely deserved it. Uh, then uh, next up, we had the Foreign Language Film Awards. Uh, the five nominees here 
were uh, Capernaum from Lebanon, Girl from Belgium, Never Look Away from Germany, and Shoplifters from Japan, and the ultimate winner, Alfonso Cuaron's Roma from Mexico. And that sadly, Roma was the only one I saw. But it's good. It's definitely good. I'm glad it won, but I didn't... That's the one... Foreign language film is the one category I wish I could see more of, because there's just so many foreign films I've ever, I never got the chance to see just because of where I am. And I wish there was like a service or something, like a Netflix-style thing for, for, for all the foreign language film not, films to come out so that we could all get a chance to watch them in, in the lead-up to these awards. So we could say, oh, well, like, I like this one the most. But, uh, you know, maybe it would go the way of Film Select. It's too niche. We'll see. Uh, who knows? But, hey, it could, be, it could be like a subset of Verve for all, for all I know. But, yeah, um, it's... It's uh, it these are these are some fine winners we're getting here. You know, these are the ones I would have picked out of the ones I've seen. Uh, sadly, I wish I could have seen more of the foreign language films to judge, but I'm glad Roma won because it definitely earns a, an award, if not, you know, more awards. So that there, so you know, I'm not disagreeing with the awards, uh, the awards choices for the most part. Uh, you know, I just you know, like aside from Green Book, most of the awards are the ones I would have picked anyway. And kind of first man, just because those two, I, those two, I never, I never really got into. As things start to widen down for the night, uh, we 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 are shown who the winner for the this year's Cecil B. DeMille Lifetime Achievement Award is, and it's Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges has won the Lifetime Achievement Award, and it I can't say you know I disagree because the dude deserves it. Dude is good. He the literally the dude is good. So yeah, congratulations, Jeff Bridges, and he delivered such a wonderful and touching speech. And it was crazy to think about how far back the man's career has gone from the '50s when he was working alongside his his dad on stuff to becoming his own actor in his own right and becoming such a powerhouse in the industry. You know, uh, it, it's gonna be a, he's gonna be another one of those big losses when the time comes. But I th- he's got he's got plenty of time left. I feel like. Uh, after that, what they gave out the award for best director, and this time around, um, it was an interesting crapshoot. Uh, any one of the winners, I think, for the most part, would have been good. I mean, the nominees were Peter Fairley for Green Book, Bradley Cooper for A Star Is Born, Spike Lee for Black Klansman, and Adam McKay for Vice, with the winner being Alfonso Cuaron for Roma. And aside from Peter Fairley for Green Book... Most and kind of Adam McKay for Vice. I didn't feel like they were that great this year. Uh, Bradley Cooper, Spike Lee, and uh, Alfonso Cuaron were all solid choices. So the fact that they went with Roma was a good was good for Alfonso Cuaron because I mean I mean the dude is mega talented. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know who I would have picked. I kind of would have picked. I, I think I would have gone with Bradley Cooper overall, just because his direction was the one that sat with me the most. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, ultimately, ultimately the, you know, the winner was Alfonso Cuaron, who definitely deserved it. He made a great movie. So good for him. Final categories of the night here. We've got first up the comedy, uh, winners, uh, for lead actress. The nominees were Emily Blunt for Mary Poppins Returns, Elsie Fisher for Eighth Grade, Charlize Theron for Tully, which I completely forgot came out this year. Constance Wu for Crazy Rich Asians, and the winner was Olivia Coleman for The Favorite. And once again, Favorite's a movie I hear great things about I've yet to see. 
So I hope I get the chance to see it early this year, maybe even on like Netflix or something, just because I hear so many good things about it. And for Best Comedy Musical Film, the nominees were Crazy Rich Asians, The Favorite, Mary Poppins Returns, Vice, and the ultimate winner, Green Book. Yep, lowest common denominator usually wins these things. Just, just so, like, Crazy Rich Asians is ultimately just a rom-com. So I'm surprised. See, that's the thing I don't. I'm I'm bugged by in this category this year. We had two movie musicals. One a jukebox musical that used old that used the band songs, and the other a fully written musical, but they're in the drama category and not the musical category the the golden gloves has always been calvin ball everything's like everything's like oh uh, we're gonna nominate this person for the like green book's not a comedy it's a drama so why isn't that in the drama thing while a star is born is in the musical comedy like the golden globes don't make any damn sense when you think about it so yeah uh green book completely wasted award i feel like green book's gonna be one of those ones like crash like driving miss daisy where you look back on and say wow this is what we thought was progressive this is what we thought was cutting edge commentary on race relations wow what the hell's wrong with us uh for and then finally for the drama for the drama section the nominees for best actress were Lady Gaga for A Star Is Born, Nicole Kidman for Destroyer, which I hadn't seen or heard of. What the hell was Destroyer? I hadn't heard the winner either, but we'll get to we'll get to her. Um, crime drama from Karen Kusama, screenplay by Phil Hay and Matt Manfredi. Nicole Kidman, LAPD officer who must take out members of a gang years after her case was blown. Oh yeah, I think I saw something about that. Sebastian Stan's in it. Tony Keppel. Bradley Whitford. So it seems good. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure when I'm going to get the chance to see it, but I, I thought I saw this buzzing around uh, at some point. But yeah. Uh, anyway, so she, Nicole Kidman was nominated for that and uh, for, I think, one of the TV section as well. Um, uh, then the other, uh, Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me? And then Rosamund Pike for A Private War. Uh, and then finally, the winner was Glenn Close for The Wife. A film I had never even heard of throughout all of 2018. And then it wins Golden Globes. So maybe it's good. Uh, a bunch of these I didn't see. I've only seen A Star is Born and A Private War. Didn't see Destroyer. Wasn't able to see Can You Ever Forgive Me. Never even heard of The Wife. Uh, so yeah, this is a bit of cat. I don't know who I would pick out of the ones. Maybe Rosamund Pike, but I'd have to see the other three to really give it a good uh, estimate. Anyway, uh, for leading actor in a drama... We have uh, nominees Bradley Cooper for A Star is Born. Once again, A Star is Born should be in a musical, right? It's literally a musical. Willem Dafoe uh, for At Eternity's Gate, where he played Vincent van Gogh. Uh, van Gogh? Van Gogh? I've heard there's so many. I don't know who. I don't know the correct uh, pronunciation of his name anymore. It's always kind of up in the air. Uh, anyway, Lucas Hedges for Boy Raced. John David Washington for Black Klansman, and the ultimate winner, Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody. A, another movie musical that just uses Queen. I know I know they're not technically singing, but it's a musical centered around Queen's music. I don't get you, Golden Globes. But anyway, yeah, Rami Malek is good. Like, he's good at capturing uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. 
uh, he's good at capturing Freddie Mercury, but I'd have to see Willem Dafoe in Eternity's Gate. Uh, but Boy Erased, Lucas Hedges was good. John David Washington was good in Black Klansman. Bradley Cooper was good in The Star Is Born. Uh, any of those would have been good choices, but Rami Malek feels like the populist choice. Like, everyone loved Bohemian Rhapsody. It's such an amazing movie, even though it's a completely trite, over you know, overly Hollywoodized version of the actual events. But this is what they love. This is the kind of schmaltz that they go gaga over. Oddly enough, someone who didn't win that night. Uh, and then finally, the best drama, dress, dramatic film. Dominies were Black Panther, Black Klansman, If Bill Street Could Talk, A Star Is Born, and then finally, Bohemian Rhapsody. Really? Like, I didn't know, I knew Black Panther wasn't going to get the win out of, these, out of this crowd. But not If Bill Street Could Talk? Not Black Klansman? Like, Bohemian Rhapsody? That's the best drama, in your guys' opinion? Seriously? Like, you didn't watch any of the other dramas. Literally any of the other dramas out there. Like, you didn't watch... Can you ever forgive me? You didn't watch... Uh, what's another one? A, a Private War. You didn't watch any of the other dramas out there. You you thought Bohemian... And once again, I think it's just because people love Queen. And this is their, they're just starry-eyed over seeing the story told, even though it's a very poorly done version of the story and neglects actual points in history that can be pointed out to the filmmakers. But nah, nah, this is the one. Bohemian Rhapsody, that's the best drama of the year. Nah, nah, can't be any of the other much better made dramas. It, it was clearly Bohemian Rhapsody. So freaking overrated. But, but once again, this is what these people go for. This is the kind of... They love the schmaltz. They love the artifice of it all. They don't care about genuine quality. They, it's, all about, it's all about... It's all about the flash and the glamour of it all. It doesn't... Not about... Great. I think the TV section gets a lot, of, a lot more of the winners right. And even though... Once again, some of the winners I agree with. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Clearly the best animated film of the year. Um... I couldn't speak for Regina King. Marshall Ali, technically the best supporting actor of the, all the ones nominated. But, you know, Christian Bale, technically, once again, technically the best of the ones nominated. But once again, these are who you nominate? You're not nominated. Once again, out of all the comedies this year, you know what's a comedy that was really good this year? Game Night. Tag. Why not any of those guys? They're actual comedies. But once again, this isn't a true comedy. This is... This is a highbrow comedy sort of thing. Crazy Rich Asians was there because of its, uh, you know, cultural significance, ultimately. But, like, Tully? Why wasn't Tully nominated for more things? Because you just wanted Charlize Theron to show up. So, once again, all of these things can be are so artificial in nature that, in retrospect, it doesn't matter. Who, once again, most of these winners didn't even make my top... The ones that I've seen... Didn't make my top seven of the year. Didn't even make the honorable mentions. The only the only the only winner that did was Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. But First Man, Roma, uh, not not Roma so much, but Green Book, Bohemian Rhapsody. This is what you people are into. This and once again, Green Book is the comedy. 
Why even have a different category if you're just going to use it as carry over from the other cat, other more important category? That's what this is. Comedy and musicals seems to just be a carryover from drama. We wanted to fit more people into the drama category, but rather than extend the number of nominees, we'd rather just pile, you know, move them over to comedy and just, you know, kind of fudge the details. God, I'd never liked the Golden Globes. I don't know if I'll cover the next one next year. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll, I don't think I'll watch the awards. Maybe I'll cover the winners, but I, God, I hate the award season so much. It is so up its own ass, but unfortunately I can't ignore it. It's con- it's a consistent part of discussing movies. It's ultimate. it's one of the, you know, it's one of the, you know, it's, there's, it's such a point that there's an entire season leading up to these award shows. And unfortunately, they all suck, and it's a bunch of blowhards picking garbage. Uh, and sometimes I agree with them, but ultimately, it's a bunch of you know, it's a it's it's a bunch of yahoos picking these things. It doesn't matter. None of this matters ultimately. And unfortunately, I still have to talk about it. That's the worst part of it all. So yeah, screw the Golden Globes. I'm done with this crap. Let's move on to the more the other parts of this podcast and get this whole shmeal over with. <laughs> And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. Looking at the box office this weekend, we're going to have pretty steady uh, numbers all around. Holmes and Watson dropped from number seven to number ten. Turns out that was another Sony production. Uh, so Sony uh, putting their stamp of quality on everything. Uh, most everything stayed about the same. Uh, second act and uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet stayed at eight and nine, respectively. But as we get into the top seven, uh, Vice dropped down to number si- from number six to number seven, bringing in f- uh, $5.8 million this weekend, bringing its domestic total up to 29.7 on a budget that IMDb and Box Office Mojo are owned by the same company. You'd think they'd share this data with each other. God. Hold on. Vice. We want the budget. 60 million. So not looking good for Vice. Maybe the Oscar buzz and the awards buzz will get gain some numbers, but ultimately it's not making it all that much. It'll, it'll be lucky to make, make back its budget at this point, given these numbers. Uh, moving up to number six was last week's number five, The Mule. Which premiered, which uh, not premiered, but uh, earned nine million dollars this weekend, bringing its domestic total up to eighty-one point one million dollars. So it's slowly building its way up to being being uh, to breaking even. So it's about twenty million dollars out. We'll see if it can make that back over the rest of its run. Uh, maybe the rest of the January movies will push it out, but you know, it, yeah, I could see this making back its money, even though it's not mega successful. Next up, last week's number three dropped down to number five. That's Bumblebee, bringing in $12.7 million, bringing its domestic total up to 97.1, and its global total so far up to $289 million. Perfectly financially successful. I don't know uh, how it... Unfortunately, I don't know how it ranks compared to the rest of the Transformers movies. Let's, Let's take a look. Like, the last one by this point... Let's see, Bumblebee's at week three. Uh, three weeks in, the uh, Transformers 5 made 
gross today, $109 million nationally. So Bumblebee is, I think, doing okay so far. It's making a little bit more. No, actually, it's not 97. I'm so I think the taste. I think the last night has kind of ruined the taste. And plus, people aren't ultimately not into prequels. I think as much, but I hope they stick with this direction rather than going for a try. Rather try to tie this back into Michael Bay's crap. But people love Michael Bay. I think it's just because they love the spectacle of it all. They don't care about the story. Ah, uh, well. Even though the, the effects in this are way better than anything Michael Bay has done, I guess people don't really care, ultimately. They just, it, it, it exists, and and it, it's a way for, to waste their time. Anyway, staying steady at number four, we have Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, earning $13 million this weekend, bringing its domestic total up to $133.8 million, and its worldwide total so far up to $275 million. Congratulations, you're breaking even and you're on your way to success. Not as much as the other Spider-Man movies, I don't think. Definitely one of the better Sony Pictures animation movies. But, uh, yeah, I once again, if you haven't yet, why aren't you seeing Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? It is the superior Spider-Man-related movie of the year. Why are you, why are you supporting Venom when this is the far superior movie? Uh, anyway, I don't get you, people. Uh, anyway... Number two, number three is last week's number two, Mary Poppins Returns, bringing in $15.7 million this weekend, bringing its domestic total up to $138.7 million, and its worldwide total up to $257.9 million. So, great, you know, rousing success. One of the better, uh, uh, you, wait. Uh, adjusted for inflation, yeah, I was going to say the first one should be making way more money adjusted for inflation. Uh, but uh, not not worldwide. More, Mary Poppins did not make a lot of money worldwide, it looks like. But yeah, people are digging this new one, so good for them. And it's not one of their bad ones. It's not so bad. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of pushback from it, people who are much more fans of the original, but yeah. It's not as bad. It's not as good, but they they made some improvements around. And hey, we got to see the return of two D animation, so it's good. It, it you know it did some good stuff that uh, for what it's worth. And then premiering at number two this week, we have Escape Room, which brought in eighteen million dollars and cost nine million to make. It doubled its budget opening weekend. That sequel bait is going to be completely warranted. We're going to get a whole bunch of this crap all because it managed to just scrape by because it's so freaking cheap this is why this is why i'm not that into horror because even because bad horror perpetuates because it's cheap to make and people support it and just enough people support it they'll, they'll get enough people in. it's like those clickbaity things bad horror is clickbait for movies it, it entices you with with you know teases of of shock and uh startles and you know spooks and then all and then when you watch it you're like that was garbage but they got your money so they don't care yeah they got your click so what does it matter god i really hope people learn and don't support a sequel for this crap anyway staying at number one is aquaman earning 30.7 million dollars this weekend bringing its domestic total up to 259.7 and its global total almost a billion dollars at 940 million so congratulations aquaman you're doing you're about you're the second highest grossing of the entire 
DCEU, I believe. Uh, let me see. DC Extended Universe. It says number five. That must be domestically. Yeah, on Adjusted Worldwide. Grossed higher than Superman. Batman v Superman. So, yeah. The lowest grossing of that is Justice League. And Batman v Superman is the second. Was was the highest. And now Aquaman is the highest. So, congratulations. You did it good. You're not a terrible movie. And, and you've proved that maybe the DCEU is worth salvaging. We'll see about that. I hear good, you know, Shazam looks good. We'll be, we'll see where that goes. Maybe a new direction, do the stupid, weird Flashpoint reboot or something. As long as you've got new good people in charge, we, I'll be fine with it. Uh, you know, rising from the ashes, bad, you know, tripped at the start, but hey, you made if you if you can gain your footing and get and actually get some good movies going, I'm happy. That's all I care about. So yeah, that was the box office report for this weekend. So let's move on to the trailer talk next. Rated R starts Friday. I think I mentioned it at the top of the show, but this weekend we've got a much bigger lineup. We've got a full plate ahead of us with four releases, three of which are new, one of which is an expansion. So uh, let's take a look at the big one for next week, which is the aforementioned Kevin Hart in his latest movie with Brian Cranston, The Upside. You need to prove you're looking for work. I've been looking, trust me. Mm. Three signatures by tomorrow or you See, that's the thing. Even Kevin, I don't, not not a big fan, but I preferred Kevin Hart playing down, you know, playing him down rather than being hyper manic. And the, but as, yeah. Wow, that's creepy. All right. Penthouse. You need to wait your turn. Relax, it's not a hold up. Just sign this one, please. How would I sign it? I don't know. Slowly. Yeah, it doesn't help that Kevin Hart is paired up against one of the powerhouses like Brian Cran- like Brian Cranston is. I need assistance. How much does it pay? And he's also against the Cole Kidman, so he's really the odd one out as ter- as thing in terms of like acting quality. You are not qualified for this position. The buckle, buckle. Have you ever changed a catheter? No. Pinch the head. Insert. Mm. I can't feel it. Oh, well I can't. You want to feed your soul? Then listen to its cool. Think, think, think about what you're trying to do to me. It's amazing, isn't it? Sound just like it. Yeah, it's uncanny. Yeah, that's that that sort of manicness is what I don't like Kevin Hart for. It's why I think of him as like this generation's Chris Tucker. Yeah, screaming in the shower. Oh my god, they're not practical. Exactly. You can have any girl you want. What about this lady with all the Botox? It'll be perfect for each other. You can't move your body. She can't move her face. I'm very curious if the guy Kevin Hart is playing is anything like this. Or if he's just being Kevin Hart in this all in the whole thing. I'm fighting to see my son. And whose fault is it? Is it yours or is the world out to get you? Are you mad? You want to break this big ass bottle of wine? Tell me a mess. Kevin Hart, Brian Cranston, and Nicole Kidman. 
Yeah, exactly. It's it's better than his usual shtick, but once again, it's still Kevin Hart. It's all Kevin Hart isms, and it's just it's just not what I'm into. So I'm sure the movie will be fine. Uh, who's the direct? I saw the Neil Berger. So yeah, once again, it's got a great pedigree behind it. So I'm sure it'll be good. But Kevin Hart is just not somebody I'm into, especially now with all this thing going, all this drama going on. Uh, around him like i the more people talk you know complaining like oh he's you know he's so amazing he's so good and then people are like yeah come you know talking about breaking down uh you know how you know how they don't like him and it's just like i don't care about you kevin hart i i never cared about you and i care about you even less now so anyway uh the next big release we got is a dog's purpose no that was that was one of my worst movies of la- of 2017 no, we're looking at the 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 uh, spiritual successor, A Dog's Way Home, or as people I've been seeing call it, Homeward Bound 2019. And they're not wrong. Let's take a look. Sony, God, Sony, what the hell, Sony? Why are you dumping all your crap on me now? Why am I seeing this in theaters? This literally looks like it should be made for television. Based on the best-selling novel, A Dog's Way Home, from the beloved author of Dog's... Beloved, yeah. Nothing's, nothing quite makes you as beloved as murdering dogs and making a dog live the same... Live, live, the li- live continuous lives over and over again and constantly suffer the pain of death. What the hell? Dog's Purpose is such a terrible movie. And t- We went to work. This is Bryce Dallas Howard as well. This is a this is an Academy Award nominated, I think, winning, maybe even winning actress playing the voice of a damn dog. Life with Lucas was the best, but when he wasn't around, I missed him so much. And it's like, what does she add to it? What does she add to this that you couldn't get from, like, Grey Delisle? Grey, De- Grey Griffin, uh, Grey Delisle Griffin, uh, I know her, as, I, I grew up with her as Delisle, so I keep forgetting she goes by her married name now. But yeah, Grey Griffin, uh, Tara Strong, any number of, of voice actors to do this on the cheap and basically give the same performance. God, Hollywood is weird. Baby reaction. Oh boy, here's where the Sony Animation Pictures comes in. With a really out of place CG cu- wolves and cougar. This is literally Homer Bound. Only you've cut out two of the other characters. Aw, uh, he befriended a kitty. He befriended cat. Find your way back home. There are some bonds no distance can break. Gag. Uh, actually, you know what? I think I'm going to rewatch Homeward Bound and see how it compares. <laughs> uh, probably not a good idea. Uh, considering that was probably way better. Even as a schmalty kids movie, that one's probably way better than this. Uh, anyway, let's take a look at the last of the new releases with 
replicas. This is going to be interesting to talk about because I got to dig into the deep uh, backstory behind this because it's got a long story behind it. Entertainment Studio. I still feel like that's a front. That always sounds like it's a front for like the mob or something. It's a fence organization. Lotus Entertainment. Time since cardiac death. Seven hours, fifteen minutes. Root the math easy. See, I don't remember this part at all. This is all new. The human this... My life's work. Daddy! That's what makes us. Us. You have kids that love you and a wife that adores you. Where he's like trying to do Frankenstein's monster or trans transfer people's consciousnesses into robots? I don't remember this at all. I thought it was about cloning. I mean, it looks like it still is about cloning. Next year. There now. I'm better. But I can never have it. What's For the producers on? of... Pa- oh, that's great. That's a great... And Transformers... Oh! Passengers and Transformers! Great pe- great movies to be tied to. Also, way to give away the backstory. You and the kids died. I brought you back. There is a reason human cloning is banned. Oh, hey, it's Thomas Middleditch. Something already has. This has got way out of hand. I hope you're ready to go to jail. The experiment's over, Bill. No, it isn't. Keanu Reeves. Oh, my God. Is he... Is he... This Is this going to pull a chappy? Oh my god, if this trailer revealed that he goes full chappy, then I'm gonna I'm gonna lose it. I didn't defy every natural law there is just to lose you again. Replicas. Oof, yeah, that's that's gonna be something or other. Oof. It does not look very good. <laughs> so yeah, that's gonna be coming out. That's we're gonna look forward to that. And then finally, the expansion we get, not the favorite, not if Beale Street could talk, you know, not any of these really good movies, the one that didn't even get a single nomination at the Golden Globes and seems to be going forgotten unless it turns up at the Oscars. We've got the Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie on the basis of sex. Let's take a look. Oh, God, I've always wanted to see uh, What's-His-Name from Law & Order be a sexist pig. The table and report who you are and why you're occupying a place that could have gone to a man. I'm Ruth Bader Ginsburg. My husband is in the second year class. And why are you here, Miss Ginsburg? To learn more about his work so I can be a more patient and understanding wife. Inspi- inspired by a true story, that's always a good sign. The law says women stay home, men go to work. But all people. A mediator film. Oh, hey, Kathy Bates. You think you can change the country? You should look to her generation. They're taking to the streets. What if you got hurt or arrested? Mom, it's a rally, not a riot. I don't know where she gets this. Also, I think that's Army Hammer as her, as, uh, her husband. Discrimination on the basis of sex is legal. We need to right this wrong. Let's topple the whole damn system of discrimination. All rise. She thinks gender equality For the fight. Is civil right. These laws are obstacles to our children's... Of the century. 
If you lose, you will set the woman's movement back 10 years. You don't get to tell me when to quit. Get your emotions in check. Academy Award nominee Felicity Jones. You've been ready for this your whole life. There is no aspect of the law at which you can be bested. The word woman does not appear even once in the U.S. Constitution. Nor does the word freedom. On the basis of sex. Yeah. From what I... And that's the thing. I've been here... Oh, Kesha wrote the music for this one. For, wrote the big song for that one. Um, yeah. Oh, here... Oh, hey, here's another movie that should have opened wide that I didn't get a chance to see. Mary, Queen of Scots. Yeah, um... There are people... I follow... Since I follow a bunch of film uh, people on Twitter, I have been hearing some some of them talk about this movie since they got the chance to see it last year. And they were all pretty dumbfounded by it because it sounds... Because it comes off to me like it's a generic by-the-numbers biopic. And considering this is Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who could very easily be a very... Could, its own unique biopic, the fact that it's so... But so doesn't try hard to be as unique as her life was, especially considering you could watch literally her life story presented as a documentary in RBG. The fact that you're just getting a a watered down version of parts of her life it seems to be a mistake. But we'll see. I have to watch. R- I may have to watch RBG uh, as well to compare and contrast. But I don't know. I, that's we'll see. Well, we'll see if I can. Uh, Keep track of all this, but that's that's what we're looking forward to next week. So that about does it for now, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, be sure to favorite us on your on your browser and make sure to whitelist us on your ad blocker and check out all of our other fine programming. We've got a brand new episode of Living in the Stacks coming soon uh, on our new monthly schedule, as well as all of our other fine stuff from Donna over at Snarkasts and... Uh, I believe Vanessa's still doing uh, Out of Vegas. And people keep liking the page for Phantom of the Podcast, even though we haven't released a new episode in almost a year, I want to say. But I'll talk, I may want to talk to Vanessa when I have the time again to see if we want to start that up. If people, Because people keep coming to us. They keep finding us, so we might as well give them something. Uh, and then if you don't want to listen to us through your web browser, you can find us on your various podcasting apps uh we're available through itunes google play sound not soundcloud uh, we had to give up soundcloud but spreaker stitcher uh spotify i'm looking forward to trying to add podbean down the line expand the patron uh outreach basically whatever podcast app you use make sure to look for popcorn junkie if you see my orange mug chomping on popcorn staring at the movies you're listening to the right feed and you should have access to all the new episodes as they come out uh and then if you want to you know, help the podcast out. You can always leave a five-star rating and review and let people know that you like the show or that they should check it out as well. You can also do that by sharing us on your various social media. The social media home for Popcorn Junkie is facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. That's where all the big news is going to come out. And um, I've got some plans uh, for 2019 in the work, so stay tuned to that. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at CornJunkiePod. I'm, I'm a little bit more active there. That's why I do uh, Twitter munchalongs and trailer talks, as well as kind of interact with other uh, film people on Twitter. So if you want to keep in touch with me there, you can do so at, at CornJunkiePod. I'm on Instagram at, at PopcornJunkiePodcast, still trying to figure out what to do with that. And you can also find me on uh, Stardust, where I give reactions to the stuff I review for the week. 
I didn't get a chance to review out react to Outlaw King, but uh, you can find my reaction to Escape Room on there. Uh, I'm at Popcorn Junkie on Stardust, and if you want to see other people's reactions or make some of your own, you can come join us. I highly recommend uh, double, the guys from Double Toasted that are on there, Mars Girls on there, um, various other uh, film people are on there. Uh, and then, of course, there is the Internet's other John Bailey, the king of Stardust, uh, Epic Voice Guy himself. At Epic Voice Guy, the voice of Honest Trailers and so many other things. He has the best reactions, bar none. Puts genuine production, uh, you know, for uh, basically what is uh, what is essentially Vine for movie bu- movie fans. And he puts us all into it and he gives some of the best reactions, period. And who knows, you may even find some friends on there and you may even... You know, f- have your own little group going. So come join us on Stardust. We're having fun. So should you. And then if there's anything else you want to say to me, any kind of feedback you want to give, corrections you want me to make, uh, give, you know, get, did you not like Outlaw King, but you enjoyed Escape Room? Your thoughts on the Golden Globe winners? Do you think I'm misguided in, you know, lambasting Green Book or Bohemian Rhapsody? What would you have picked for those categories, you know, let me all, let, send all that to uh, popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com and let me know uh, in the message or in the subject that you gave me, act, you know, you grant me permission to use your name and the message on the air. Otherwise, I'll just paraphrase it. Uh, I don't want to, but if you, you want me to read it out as is and let you know who sent and let people know who sent it, uh, be sure to let me know in the message or in the subject because I want to, I don't want to do things without your permission. So send all that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. That does it for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and 2019 isn't exactly off to the best start in terms of movies, is it? Then again, when has January ever been a good month for movies? The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nathio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nathio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. And then if you don't want to listen to us through your web browser, you can find us on your various pop, uh, pop, popcast. Uh, nah. Uh, all of that is available. Basically, whatever pop, uh, podcast you, I did it. I, God damn it. I did it again. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Pop. Did I was I about to say cockcorn? I hope not. This is a this is a family podcast.